Join with me in prayer. Lord, um, our, our continued prayer that we've already begun with, but we continue right now, is um, that the very thing you instruct us to do in this passage when you say, Behold my servant, that you would help us to to look at Jesus and to see him uh, more clearly. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, as I already said, there's something, I think, about uh, the beginning of a new year uh, that invites us to take a step back. It's an opportunity. And just, for many of us, like a day's time, we will be in that that busyness that characterizes most of our life. Tomorrow might begin the time of more deadlines and assignments, of more errands and, and bills to pay, and, and the one thing after the other after the other, but at least for today, we still have an opportunity to step back and to think about, about where we're going. Is this the direction that we want to go, or do we want to go somewhere different? Where we've gone, is this how we want to live our lives? In some ways, if life is a journey, this is a chance to just kind of like poke our head and kind of look at our destination and check, is this, is this how we want to live? Um, the book of Hebrews, uh, interestingly, I think gives us a similar metaphor. It, it says that uh, life is like a race. And it tells us that to be able to run the race well, here's what we need to do. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. What Hebrews tells us, Jesus is the perfecter and the pioneer of our faith. We'll talk about how he is a perfecter a little bit later. But that idea of him being the pioneer. You know, if, if life is a journey, Jesus is the one who goes ahead of us through the wilderness. He has already cut a path for us in the grass. He has made marks when we're in areas where we could get lost. He has found the path between the mountains. And the, what the writer of Hebrews says is for us to do this journey well, we need to just keep looking at Jesus. Keep our eyes fixed on him and he will show us where to go and how to get there. So that seems to be an appropriate thing for us to do as the year begins, to again fix our eyes on Jesus that we might see where to go and how to get there. And this morning's passage explicitly tells us to do exactly that. It says, as, if you don't have it open, I invite you to have it open, we'll be looking at it, and the very opening words, behold my servants. You might notice how we... Um, after reading this passage, I also looked at a few verses in Luke. At the baptism of Jesus that are recorded for us in the Gospels, we see God explicitly saying, this is the one whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And he is echoing the words here. God is saying at the baptism, this is my servant. This is the one I was talking about. So what we have here when we have Isaiah telling us, or God telling us in Isaiah, behold my servant, he's saying, look at Jesus. That's, that's what this passage is telling us to do. Look at Jesus. Look at this pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And as we do in this passage, I believe Jesus shows us three things. He shows us where we're going, our goal. He shows us how we are to get there, the pathway we are to take. 
And then because this pathway is not an easy one, we also see how we are to walk along this pathway, how we are to find the strength for this journey. So first, as we look at the servant, as we look at Jesus, where is the goal? What is the destination? Well, it is made very explicit for us. Do you notice we're told this a number of times in case we miss it? After we're told, behold my spirit, it says, he will bring forth justice to the nations. And in case we miss it, the end of verse 3, he will faithfully bring forth justice. And then again in verse 4, in case we are really slow, he will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice on this earth. When Jesus came into this world, yes, he came to save us from our sins, but he came to do more. He came to make this world right. He came to establish justice. I don't know how, what connotations the word justice has for you. For me, I will say it has kind of a cold feeling when I just kind of like see how it registers on me. And I think that's because oftentimes when I'm thinking of justice, I think of, the, of what it's not. I feel like we have a better sense of what injustice is. We, we know what injustice is from the time that we were young. When you're like three and your sibling gets a bigger piece of cake. I mean, what do we say? That's not fair. I mean, we know what injustice is, right? And, and as we get older, uh, we start feeling it in different ways. Uh, when we see maybe teachers treating students inequitably. Or as we get older and we start understanding some of the graver issues of injustice and we see how the weak sometimes are preyed upon, about how dishonest people with corruption, we, 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 we know when things aren't just. We feel that. And I think that's why we oftentimes think of justice in a cold way, or at least I do, because we're only thinking about what it's not. But justice is, is, is more than that. It's not just about the absence of bad things. It is more beautiful than that. Justice is about a harmony. It's about people fitting perfectly together with each other so that everyone has a place, so that every need, no matter how insignificant the person might be seen as, every need is considered and is addressed. Justice is about more than just government. It's about more than just finance. Justice is about strangers in a community being able to trust each other. It's about our children being completely safe. It's about marriages being strengthened. If you were here last week, you might remember that Nick spoke of this web of relationships that we were meant for, that the Bible speaks of as shalom, and, and justice is pointing to that perfect harmony. Now, Scripture, when it speaks about justice, it, it, it says that we can only understand justice when we center it on God. God is the one who made this world. He designed it, gave it order. And the only way that this world can experience everything fitting perfectly together is if he is at the center and the world is being brought into conformity with him. That's, that's what justice is. When this world is being made more and more into conformity with how God designed it to be. And, and that's what Jesus came to bring about. One commentator on our passage put it this way. He says that when we're talking about the mission of the servant, we are not merely speaking of a privatistic forgiveness of sins or of the imposition of a humanly designed system for redistribution of goods. 
Justice here is that life-giving order which exists when the creation is functioning in accordance with the design of its Lord. I'm going to say that again. Justice is that life-giving order which exists when creation is functioning in accordance with the design of its Lord. It is through the servant that the lordship of God will be made effectively available to everyone. That's the goal of Jesus' mission. That is the destination that he has been moving towards to bring about justice, conformity to God's will throughout this world. When we were looking on Christmas Eve of Jesus' birth, do you remember at all what, what Mary sang as she heard that she was going to carry Jesus in her womb? What she prophetically said about Jesus, she said, God has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. Mary was singing that Jesus has come to make this world right. To establish justice. And when you think about his life, I mean, when, he, when he's preaching this Sermon on the Mount that we looked at last year, he is, he is describing the way of his kingdom, the way of righteousness, where everything is, is working together as God designed it to be. He is calling people to justice. When he is doing miracles, he's freeing people who are possessed by demons. He is bringing them back into order. When he, he speaks to the lowly and, and the ones who are, who, are, who are just brought down by society, and he's bringing them and, and speaking the mercy of God to them. And on the other hand, when he's speaking to the proud and arrogant and warning them of God's judgment, he is seeking to make things right. He is pursuing justice. And, and when he goes to the cross, he is doing that so that God's righteous requirements might be dealt with so that we might be brought back to God. He came into this world to establish justice. And it says he will not rest until it has been accomplished. And that was just the beginning. We are told that as people who are Jesus' followers, we are, we are called to continue. This is our goal as well. We, we just prayed the Lord's Prayer. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are praying that everything being brought into conformity with God's will, we are praying that God would bring about his justice. When Jesus sends all of his disciples out and he says, baptize them in the name, in my name, in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and teach them to do everything I have commanded. He is, he is telling people to extend his rule. Bring everyone under my loving rule that they might be brought into conformity with how God designed the world. It is a mission of justice. That's, as we are stepping back at this beginning of this new year, we should recognize when we are thinking about what God's calling is on us as followers of Jesus, as followers of the servant, we are being called to work with Jesus in pursuing making this world right. 
Now, the, the fullest expression of this is when someone comes to know Jesus. The, the disorder of sin is brought into the salvation of Christ. And so our, our deepest longing and our deepest praying as we are pursuing this is to see other people come to know Jesus and be saved by him. That is a central part of our mission. But really, wherever our lives touch, we have, we have opportunities to pursue this. As I think about what this means for me, it, it begins with me actually looking at myself and recognizing areas of disorder, of, of pride, of areas where I am not into conformity with God and seeking to bring that into repentance in life. That's pursuing justice. It means as a father, me seeking to encourage in our family uh, an atmosphere where people's voices are heard well, where people are encouraged to flourish, where there is respect and love, and, and we are working together to help each other to grow in the knowledge of Christ. That's pursuing justice within our family. With work, we have opportunities. Can we help establish an environment in our workplaces where people are treated with dignity? and where integrity is valued. If we have kind of ownership over what our work is doing, or if we're even thinking about kind of maybe starting a business or something like that, are we doing it in a way where we are pursuing to right something that we see in the world that is wrong? That is a pursuing of justice. What we are called to do, maybe even right now, is to step back and ask, where has God placed us? Where has God given us resources and opportunity? Where do we see Ways that this world, that people we know, that situations that we find ourselves in are broken. And what would it look like for us to pursue justice? Because that is the pathway that we have seen, or that is the destination that we see Jesus himself moving towards. But of course, that raises a question where you're saying, yes, we, we want to see this world become right and beautiful and harmonious and all the things that we say justice stands for. But How? I mean, it's, it's great to recognize the problem, but we need to at least pause to ask, but what is the way for us to get there? And it's an important question for us to ask, I would suggest. Because if we're not thoughtful about what the pathway is for us to arrive at this, we can do this, I think, really wrongly. I, I say this personally because I've, I've recognized about myself that when I encounter um, disorder, when I encounter a sense of kind of chaos, where I know something is wrong and I'm feeling kind of, I feel it, my natural reaction is to try to exert control. Maybe sometimes to yell or to at least kind of assert dominance over the situation so that I can make it right. And I, I, I suspect that's, that I'm not the only one who responds to disorder in that way. In fact, I think actually that the American church oftentimes has that reputation of we know what's right, other people are wrong, and we're going to fight our culture war until we win, and we'll make everything right on our terms. And I would suggest that if we are looking at Jesus to see the pathway that he takes to get to justice, we'd see that he calls us to a very different way. Looking again at the passage, notice what it says of the servant. After it says, he will bring forth justice to the nations, in verse 2, he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully 
bring forth justice. What we have here is a picture of, of resilient gentleness. The word gentle, I think, oftentimes is, is confused with weakness, but I would actually suggest that gentleness is the opposite of weakness. Gentleness is only possible when one has some degree of power or strength that they could exert, but yet they choose to hold it back out of kindness and concern for the person with whom they're dealing. So if you think about it, Jesus could have come to this world in glory and power, with, with a host, with an army of angels, with, with trumpet sounds and with brightness and with smoke and with fire and everyone would be falling flat on their faces at the glory of the Son of God come to this earth. But that is not how he came to us. He came to us as a child born to peasants. And in fact, even when he was conducting his ministry throughout this this, you know, throughout Israel, he, he intentionally maintained a posture of gentleness. It, it says actually that when he sometimes did miracles, when he did things that would be remarkable, he told the people, don't tell this to anyone. And the reason it seems to be was that he didn't want the, the hype, the mystique of the miracles to just kind of like make it so that people had to listen. He wanted people to choose thoughtfully about whether they were interested in following him. And, and so actually, Matthew quotes this very passage and says that here is an example of he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. Jesus, Jesus didn't yell, commanding people's intention. He, he was gentle. Uh, he is described here, I, I love these two images. Imagine like a, a plant where the stem is, is kind of like half broken and and if the servant were really rough with it, it would just break immediately, but instead he just, he just moves it just enough to kind of get it back. Or imagine a candle where it's just barely flickering, and you know all it would take is just a breath, and it will go out. But instead, instead of walking right by it and disturbing it, Jesus puts his hands around and cups it until it's a flame that's stable. That's, that's gentleness. And this is how Jesus was with people. You know, Matthew... Or, or Zacchaeus, two people who are tax collectors. Tax collectors are like the epitome in that day of injustice. They are using their power corruptly to extort other people. But what does Jesus do when he encounters them? Does he just yell at them like, what are you doing, you, you terrible people? Does he heap shame upon them? No, because he knows that if he were to do that, even though he would be right, he would crush them. What does he do instead? He says, let's have dinner together. That's gentleness. Now, this gentleness is a resilient gentleness. Notice it says that he will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice on the earth. On one hand, he doesn't just come barrels, uh, you know, like full blazing, like power, force. And yet, on the other hand, he doesn't just kind of be wishy-washy and just kind of start with something, and if there's resistance, he just kind of, oh, okay, fine, whatever. No, it says he, he's resilient. He keeps at it. He will not rest. He will not be discouraged. He keeps this gentleness with resilience. Think, think about his disciples, how often they kept getting it wrong. Jesus never says, all right, I'm done. I'm leaving. This is not working for me. No, he, he continues to teach them the same things. He tells them again and again, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. They don't get it, but he continues with gentleness 
and resilience. And, and that gentleness and resilience, again, is what brings him to the cross. Rather than crushing us, he chooses himself to be crushed for our sake. That, that is the pathway of gentleness. And this is not just something that we read about. If you, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, this is something that we experience. In the last few years, I've noticed things about myself that, that I feel like I've, I've just begun to understand things that I know need to change, that need to grow. And, um, and one of the hard things, and maybe you've had this experience too, is, is the frustration of seeing, if you're looking back on, on, on mistakes you made and wishing that you saw this 20 years ago, because man, you would, have done, you would have done things so much better, or you would have treated people so much better if you had noticed those things that you see about yourself now. But what I've come to realize is that if Jesus just showed all of the terrible things about me all at once, like, you know, when I was a teenager, hey, this is all your sin, boom, putting it out there, it would absolutely crush me. There is no way I would have been able to withstand that. But, but Jesus is playing the long game with me. He, he is giving me just enough at a time to help me to continue to grow without destroying me. And that is how he works. He works gently with us. And that is also how he calls us as we are seeking to make things right, as we are seeking to pursue justice, to do so along that pathway of gentleness. As we think about the world around us and we think about its brokenness, we must always leave space. It's so easy, I think, to be impatient, to just kind of like do this, but, but with Jesus we see this this. On one hand, softness, not softness in terms of weakness, but softness in terms of not destroying, and yet endurance. He never gives up on people, and that is our calling as we are seeking people who don't know Christ. We don't manipulate them into the kingdom. We don't give up on them, but we pray and we continue to gently love them. It's not just, of course, as we're thinking about how to love the world around us. It's, it's something that applies to us within. I think about one of my frustrations as a parent is I recognize how sometimes when someone, one of my kids has done something wrong, I do exactly the wrong thing. I decide at that moment that I need to give them an exact detailed list of how they did that wrong, which they already know. And all I'm doing is just making them feel even worse. I'm, I'm, I'm taking this, this flickering flame and practically blowing it out in that moment rather than thinking about like, what can I do that would be most strengthening and helping them to move forward? I mean, think about just this question for yourself. As, as you think of maybe friends or family members where you know that there is something that, that really does need to grow, that does need to change, you see something that you're wanting to see be made right. How do we approach that? If we are so concerned to make sure that we are right, that we are correcting them, that they know what they have done wrong, is that the pathway of Jesus? As we are stepping back, it is valuable for us to think about the way that we have chosen. Are we choosing the pathway of resilient gentleness as we seek to help and love and serve this world? But you know, the thing is, even if we, if we are honest as we think about this, as we think about what resilient gentleness involves, if we really know ourselves, we realize this is... This is hard. 
because, you know, here's the thing. I mean, just like almost at a physical level, when you and I encounter something that, that matters to us, uh, that, that is wrong, we have kind of this physiological response of fight or flight, right? We, we want either to, to, with force, stop it, or just kind of hit the eject button and move away from things. And gentle, resilient, or resilient gentleness is, is neither of those. It's gentle. It's not force. It's resilience. We keep at it. And so we need to ask how, like how, if, if it is something that is so not natural to us, if this is the pathway that, that Jesus has kind of cut for us, how do we follow when it seems to be so counter to our natural way of being? And, and here too, I think the only answer we find is by looking at Jesus and seeing how he did it. We sometimes, I think, have this misunderstanding where, where we believe that because Jesus is the Son of God, somehow he was less human, but he is fully human. He was like us in every way except without sin, which means he has that same physiological responses that we do. He, has, he, he feels fear. He feels tired. He has the potential for frustration. He has that same fight-or-flight reflex. So how is it when he encounters all sorts of resistance. I mean, we're talking about resilience. If we, if we went just a few chapters later in Isaiah, it speaks of how they will spit on me, they will pull out my beard, and yet I will set my face forward. How is he able to do that without just losing his temper, but continuing to be gentle with people who are so wrong and so deeply wrong him? If we can answer that question, then, then that will show us how we can as well. Well, how does our passage begin? Behold my servant, whom I uphold. Jesus is not some super individualistic superhero who is able to do everything by just this incredibly powerful will within him that he just finds on his own. It says, it is God the Father who upholds Jesus, who, who holds onto him and gives him strength. Jesus is able to do this through his relationship to the Father. Verse 6 continues that where, where God speaks to the servant, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness, I will take you by the hand and keep you. Do you remember at all, I know that for many of us this is many years ago, do you remember when you were a little kid what it was like if you were in a situation that you were a little scared, but your mom or your dad held you by the hand? How how just knowing that you had them holding you made you feel like you could do this. We're told here that that was Jesus' reality throughout his life. His father was holding him by his hand. That continues on, says, He is my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. One of the works of the Spirit is to communicate to people the depth of God's love for them. When Jesus was on this earth, God the Son, God the Father, looked down upon God the Son and was filled with utter, complete delight in what he saw. And the Spirit who was on Jesus communicated that reality to Jesus, knowing how deeply he was loved and delighted in by the Father. Do you see how much of a difference having that reality would make in how you live your life? 
You know, if we, if we ask ourselves, why is it that we find resilient gentleness so hard? I think, I think part of it is actually, if we're honest, it's because oftentimes when we, when we encounter certain kinds of difficulties, we feel threatened. Sometimes when we see something wrong with other people, we feel threatened because we actually know that that same thing is within ourselves and we feel powerless and we feel ashamed. Or other times when we are, are just deciding to give up on people, it's because we don't want to fail because if we fail, it makes us feel even worse about ourselves and, and, and we just feel so threatened about all of this that, that we either respond with power or with fleeing, but neither in between because, because of who we are, because of, of, the, of the great amount of shame that we're carrying that we rarely even admit to ourselves. But that is so different from what Jesus experienced. Can you imagine if, if the one person who truly knows you completely, I mean, knows everything about you, knows the things that you barely even recognize about yourself. And, and not only that, the one person who is able to assess things rightly, he, he sees perfectly clearly what he judges to be true is true. And if that one person looked down on you and you knew that he was just so incredibly proud of you. And not only any person, but this is the most important person in the world, looks on you in love and delight and holds you by the hand. Do you see how this would be what get, keeps Jesus rooted? This is what it means when God says, this is my servant whom I uphold. Jesus was able to maintain this, this resilient gentleness because of his relationship to God. And, and one of the most extraordinary claims of Scripture is that God desires you and I to experience this very same thing. We, we said at the very beginning that Hebrews tells us that, that Jesus is the pioneer but he's also the perfecter of our faith. And what that means is he accomplished for us what we could not. Scripture tells us that when we place our trust in Jesus, he is so closely connected to us that he shares and we share. All, all of our shame, it says, Jesus took upon himself and he dealt with our shame on the cross. He, he paid for our sins. He atoned for our guilt so that in God's sight, it is gone. And all that Jesus did right, all that, that was pleasing to God the Father, he shares with us and becomes ours. And so the end result is that when God looks on any who have placed their trust in Jesus, he doesn't see just their sin, he doesn't see all of their failings, he doesn't look in disappointment, he looks in joy and love, seeing the beautiful people that he has created them to be that they are becoming. He looks on you and me and he says, Behold, this is my son, this is my daughter, in whom I delight. And in fact, the spirit he gives us whispers that day after day to our souls, trying to convince us of that very reality. Now let me ask you, do you believe that? If you have placed your faith in Jesus, do you believe 
that the God of the universe who sees everything looks down and his face shines upon you. I've been a Christian for more than 40 years, and as I've been reflecting on this question, I've realized there are times that I feel like I'm just beginning. It's like, it's, like, it's like the sun is just beginning to break through the clouds, and I'm feeling the reality of that. And then there are other times where I feel like I've, I've just completely forgotten that that is how God is towards me. But I also am convinced that this is where it starts. That if this is how Jesus was able to be faithful to the end, resiliently gentle, there is no other way for us to do the same thing apart from us being convinced of this very same reality, that we are loved by God, that his face through Christ shines upon us. This is, as I've been saying, the time for us to step back. And I don't know how this passage is affecting you, whether as we are thinking about it, God has given you some desire ideas of what it looks like this year to pursue justice or maybe convicted you in places where you go, this is an area where I've just lacked gentleness. Whatever God is saying to you, let me encourage for it to come down first and foremost to this. To be able to change in whatever those areas, it starts with you being convinced that you are loved by God and that his face shines upon you. I have made for myself just one New Year's resolution this year and it's a really simple one. My desire for this year is that this year I would become more secure in the knowledge of God's love. I know some of you are praying for me. I would appreciate prayer in that and, and I would invite some of you maybe to make that a similar resolution. And Honestly, I think that's, we're, we're asking a question by saying that. What does it look like? And that's something that we can think about together. But for now, I just want us to, to kind of turn to God in prayer. Whatever God has been saying to you through this, I invite you to, to spend some time asking whether it's confessing or asking for help. And then I'll lead us in prayer in a moment's time. Would you please join with me in silent prayer?